0: Welcome back to Galley Proof, everyone. Happy Happy New Year. Twenty twenty-one is er here and twenty twenty yes. is over. Thank God. And yeah, uh I'm Allie, your I'm Grace resident mess.
1: Yeah, I'm the other one. Grace. <laughs> the other
0: one. The other one that's not as much of a mess. Still a mess, um,
1: but apparent. yeah, no, it's <laughs> still a mess. Not but, as much like... of
0: one. <laughs> uh, this is your first episode. This is a podcast where we talk about books and interspersed in those conversations about books. Sometimes we make anecdotes about uh, life at large. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. so we kind of wanted to, to have a little, um, uh, use this month where everybody's gung-ho on self-improvement with New Year's and everything, um, to to have a little moment of rebellion as we do, um, and cover a book that's mostly about kind of saying fuck you to all the pressures to do more and be better. And I don't know. <laughs> that's that's the sort of philosophy we wanted to take. I'm still, can I just say, <sighs> audience. I will, I will get an anti-diet book on you someday. Someday, <laughs> I will bring my, my fat positive agenda into this podcast and none of you can stop me, okay? And I'm going to even incorporate it this episode because just you It late- came
1: up, dude. Like, it came up anyway, which... I knew you would be happy about.
0: Well, I, I anticipated it and do you yeah. know what? I I I say ha to whoever <laughs> voted uh, against it was... against it in the poll because I um because I literally discovered this book through an anti-diet podcast. So I was like, you guys think it's not, but it will be. <laughs> to be fair,
1: the vote was very close. And like, yeah, everybody should go. And like follow our Instagrams if you want to be a part of choosing the book that we do every month. Because I'm pretty sure, so for the most recent poll we did for February's book, which we've already picked out, which you can go find out on um, Instagram. Uh, But we we, on that poll, we got quite a bit, like the most interaction we've had ever on that poll. And but I think for this one, we had like six people vote, and it was like it was literally like four to two or something so it wasn't or like some like, so it wasn't like a, a massive divide so but yeah
0: well I I see you too
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: no so. I actually um I'm I'm in support of oh sorry did I did I mention the title we're talking about laziness does not exist uh by Devin Price yeah yeah I I mean I yeah I I still this these books were both both um, pulled from, from my TBR. So mm-hmm. of course I was, I'm supportive of both. Ali sent I me like, f- like how... five,
1: you sent me like five books, four out of five of them. No, three out of five of them were anti-diet books. One of them was Laziness Does Not, Does Not Exist. And another one was more similar to Laziness. So we weren't getting away with not doing one of these. for gen- I didn't even have a pick. I was just like, yeah, dude, I'll pull all of yours. <laughs> so that was good.
0: The thing is, is like I was getting a lot of just a lot of like crappy messaging in my general environment um, around the the end of well always, but around the end of December and early January, and I just kind I feel like I just wanted to be like huh, like <laughs> contrarian about it. Like, well, I need some positive influence in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What did you think of this? I have mixed feelings, but the negative side of those mixed feelings don't really have anything to do with the book. Like, so I was just in a bit of a a reading rut, or like I don't I don't gravitate towards nonfiction as much as you do. I think so. I think I struggled to motivate myself to read it, even though when I was reading it, I was enjoying it. So, like, I didn't even finish this book until yesterday when we were we were supposed to record this yesterday and we're doing it today because that's just on brand but like I crammed finishing it yesterday afternoon in to try and have it done in time and it wasn't because I don't think it's good like I did think it was a good book I just like it it's not a self-help book but it's in it's it's close to that vein it's and and it is interesting but it's just not a genre that draws me in like organically, if that makes sense. So it's more of a me thing than a book thing. So it took me a hot minute to get through it, but that's just because I have so many fantasy books on my bookshelf that I was staring at longingly.
0: (laughs) So like um but I did I did like it. I mean you say I'm more into nonfiction, but I was in the same boat. Um Oh okay. I uh I just enjoy I mean aside from memoirs which I are artistic enough that I can read them they they give me the same satisfaction as a lot of fiction, but even even then, like I I do, I would say the reading for pleasure that I do, I would gravitate always to fiction first. Yeah, um, and I would, and this book was sort of it it did toe that line of being like commentary on social psychological theory and also a self help book. Um, and yeah. I don't think it's asserting itself as anything else. I think. And I, I really, I actually really, I thought the text was really effective. I I thought they made some very articulate, interesting choices. And, and it put a lot of ideas that I had already been sort of like, had been stewing in my general consciousness for a while into sort of one place, which I really liked. I will say... Um, I wouldn't say it was anything groundbreaking for me, mostly because I was exploring these concepts in therapy and just in sort of self-analysis and my relationship to my life Um, for a while. I mean, it's been a big part of coping with having chronic mental illness to make peace with the fact that I'm never going to meet a standard of productivity that everybody else thinks is necessary to be like a good person. And a lot of my, once I got diagnosed and when I got progressively sicker, a lot of the arguments I had with my loved ones were, were based in a lot of the shaming that people get when around sort of like laziness lie type, type stuff. Um mm. I liked also the some of the terms coined by the book. I, I think they're really helpful for sort of identifying certain ideologies. Um, I also like. I really needed that sec- section of the book that was about sort of reassuring um, people in leftist spaces and people who really care about the world. Yeah that they don't have to be and know everything, and that it's actually the small things that you really dedicate yourself to and you really, like, commit yourself to knowing th- the most about. Like, the- that f- approach is the most effective. And I was starting to get really overwhelmed. I mean, especially with the events of last year, because I really... With everything that I was trying to take in, I was just starting to get the general demeanor like the world was an awful place and I didn't even know why I was trying to be a part of it. Um, that t- went really dark, but I mean, we're going to go to the to the bottom <laughs> here, folks. Uh, yeah, It's real. It happens. And this is, and, and that's like
1: what the book, I mean, the book is aimed at everyone because the point is like, almost everybody will have been affected by what they term the laziness lie and all of that stuff so um it's aimed at everyone and i think it's an interesting and probably important read for everyone but it definitely makes a big point about like i don't know helping you feel or helping people especially in more um like with more negative mental health stuff, you know, it, it helps people in those spaces with mental health issues, I think, or it has the potential to with like feeling less guilty about taking the time and the rest that they need. Um, and it like backs it up with a lot of psychological and scientific evidence. Um, mm which I really liked. Like, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I don't know why. I don't know if I, it was just, I wasn't really expecting anything going into it, but I was really impressed at the amount of references there are in this book. Like so much research has gone, and I know that they are a psychologist themselves. Um, so I know that this is like their area of expertise, but, but like the, the amount of research is, I mean, obviously technically i now if you think about it logically it's probably like it shouldn't have been made if it wasn't going to be someone who was going to do that sort of research but the the point being that I think that you know the whole laziness lie thing has is serious has seriously permeated to the point where I wasn't even I wasn't aware there was any evidence to suggest that like this it, that sort of man- like mantra or way of thinking wasn't accurate. I guess I mean I, I, I know I knew that there must have been people who have that opinion or certain experiments conducted to try and figure out why people act a certain way or whatever, but it just was very reassuring to see the amount of like you know research done to try and prove their point. That was like it, like, it always makes something feel more reassuring or like real it like when it's this genre and it has that amount but you can just see how much proof there is um for me anyway that it was very valid like the having that much proof was as validating to me as what they were saying um in mm. general
0: i actually um for for a book that touts um such thorough research about sort of human productivity and uh the ways that um the culture surrounding overworking and as a like bottom line and all of the other things that it, the ideas, all the other ideas it explores it's, it's actually surprisingly accessible. I, um, Mm. I never found the, the language to be out of my depth or, uh, difficult to comprehend. Um, and some nonfiction can, can feel really so academic that it um Mm. it can be hard to take in those facts because it's so it's so scholastic in its language um and that's not to say that the book doesn't have an air of intelligence like it definitely it definitely comes across as a very detailed intelligent sort of thesis and, um, it's detailed in it's an ex- exploration of strategies to sort of overcome this cultural obstacle that we all have to face. So I, 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 think that that's to its benefit as well. Um, but I did, I did share your, um, your difficulty getting through it. I, I kept finding myself like being in a point where I'm like, I know, I know I have to read and I, I like I know that I have to get through this and it's presenting interesting stuff that like you said is very validating to my experience and I'm I feel it's going to be relevant to conversations I have in my life and I'll remember a lot of this stuff I learned but it wasn't necessarily fun and I I will say I think something that was a disadvantage was I the structure of it the the Mm. sort of method of storytelling did did feel like it bounced around a bit um and especially towards the end the the structure I think kind of fell apart it was sort of like oh I also wanted I also want to say this and I also want to say this just you know before I let you go
1: yeah. The book is full of anecdotes, which I think is a good thing. It makes the scenarios relatable. It shows us people that are like us who are going through things, who are doing better because they've put into practice what the book is telling us we should put into practice and this, that and the other. Like, So the anecdotes I think are a good thing, but... Like, you, like towards the end of the book, a lot of callbacks to early anecdotes are made, like this person that I mentioned in chapter one. And it's like, who? Sorry, remind me again. Like, because there's mm. so many anecdotes and it's hard to remember who everybody is. So that was a little bit disconcerting. But for, for me, I think there were two main reasons why I found it difficult to get through. And one is an issue I've had with the writing and one is just me preference wise. So um at the at the time of like recording this um this book is not published in the UK yet or like the physical version is not published in the UK yet um and i i do think that unfortunately because of how i am that made it more difficult for me to enjoy it because I'm not against eBooks or audiobooks or anything like that. I think they're wonderful ways for, pe- for people to read if they prefer that or whatever, but I struggle. I struggle massively with eBooks in particular and I like holding a book and like for some, I don't, I don't know if it's to do with, and I'm also doing it on my phone, which might not be the cleverest thing. I don't have like one of the Kindles that has the sort of, realistic page lighting setting so it was like a bit taxing to sit and look at it on my phone for ages so for me that put me off coming back to it because i don't personally love an ebook but also i found from the get go that i thought the writing was quite repetitive um mm. And I get why to an extent, like the amount of times you read the phrase, the laziness lie makes sense. Cause this is a psychologist who's trying to get an idea into people's heads and like, this is the point of the book. So I get why, but it got a bit grating on me for a while because it became redundant in my head. Like, I know what we're talking about. We don't need to keep listing what it is all the time. Um, But that might just be me getting like petty about it. But at the beginning there would be like, I'd read an entire chapter and then like the next chapter would start with like a recap of information I just read, which is like, mm. like I get that you're trying to connect it back and that makes sense. But I also, um, and maybe it's because they're trying to make it as accessible as possible because it's such an important message and I get that. But for me personally, I just struggled a little bit with like, yeah, and like genuinely to towards the last chapters I was skim reading, because I it, it was it was like referring back to stuff I'd just read in the last chapter or stuff like that. And it's not and it's still I still think it's an important book to read. I don't want that to be like a reason why someone says, oh, it's not worth reading. The message is important in this enough to overcome those things for me. Like I'm still glad I read it and I'm I still agree with a lot of the things that it says. I just like struggled a little bit because of how repetitive I found the information to be or the writing to be, I should say.
0: I will say I did find, um, I did find the writing very formulaic. I, there were times in the text, um, not always, but there were times where I felt very much like I was reading essay structures and, um, academic writing structures that you're taught and in very early academia um Mm. uh I I just think I think it's a beautiful like it's like um a wonderful thing when you can get an academic text um that is the author is also not only skilled exceptionally skilled in the subject that they're telling you about, but they're an exceptionally skilled writer and they're, and they're presenting their points very creatively. And, um, I, I think that this book was very straightforward in its delivery. Um, and it was accessible, but I, that accessibility sometimes, I think it lacked creativity or it lacked um the somewhat artistic approach that I think would have made me really want to dig my heels in and read and read and read um maybe I I, I don't know I haven't read a lot of nonfiction other than stuff that's about personal experiences that is sort of because I'm not looking for something that's poetic, but I don't know. I think there's just some sort like some spice you have to bring to to nonfiction in order to not only make it um, an excellent, like argued point and uh, a text for for learning more, but also something that is pleasant and pleasurable to read. So, so I think that's kind of where I stood on it. I will, I also want to say that, like, and and maybe this is just by nature of the fact that um, they're two very different books, but um, some, somebody that I think did do sort of personal a- anecdotes telling the stories of different people in a nonfiction, on a nonfiction basis would be, like, Laurie Gottlieb, Gottlieb. Hmm um because that was nonfiction, but I do I do think she had a way of making the people that she was relaying information about because it was sort of a a basis of story that made them feel almost like like characters and it made me more invested in in Mm. what they were experiencing the terms for what they were experiencing and the way that they were they learned how to overcome those things. Um, But I don't know if that would have worked in this book. I just think it's hard to say, really. It's hard to say exactly what approach would have made me, I guess, made those personal accounts and those different, made them more memorable, I guess. Um, Because I did struggle, like you said, with like, you're bringing up something that was before, but... Honestly, I kind of just read it, and I took away the point you were trying, like the example that you were making out of this person, but I didn't remember the person and what they what they had experienced. I more remembered the concept it was trying to portray, yeah, i
1: mean for me like that was that was for me personally the only really an issue at the end because there were they were making like references back to like chapter one and it also a hundred percent could be because I took so long to finish the book like I might it may be if I'd have had the motivation to read this in a couple of days um I'd remember who so and so was in chapter one um so it might have been the distance I had from it as well but I, I still because I guess unless it's a book about animals I'm not as keen on nonfiction like all of my nonfiction books apart from a few feminist books that I want to read and stuff but like all of my nonfiction books are about like whales and frogs and fish and (laughs) things like that because that's what I'm like mainly interested in when it comes to nonfiction and I struggled with this so because because I because of that I guess the anecdotes were my favorite part because it was the closest to storytelling it got. Because it was like, oh, this conversation happened, and this person has done this, and this, you know what I mean. So, like, I still in this, like, I still think that I, I do agree with you that there is, there is a different way that Laurie Gartley portrayed her patience that I can't put my finger on <laughs> that was like a little bit better, and I do agree with that. But like for me, in the the even with that the anecdotes were still some of my favorite parts because it was also a, as much as it definitely is a very accessible book they were also the necessary like grounding the discussion that they're having in order to like show you in practice like the pe- the real people around you that need this or that could benefit from this or how you could because you have this situation like this person or whatever so it's necessary to show like you know I'm surrounded by people, and we all know these people who need to, like, to learn the, the, that, you know, the whole laziness lie thing. Um So it's necessary, but also it's like a, it's like a deep, like, it's like a, a breath of re- relief. Is that the right phrase? And yeah, it's like, it's a relief from the, um the information that they're giving you, Uh if you know what I mean.
0: Did you ever... I don't know if this is just via the actual message that was being told, like, I, this is a product of the concepts that they were talking about, but I found myself reading a lot of these anecdotes and almost like, not being completely reassured because it feels like they were talking about people that oh you know the people outside of them would never feel that they weren't doing enough or like it almost it almost seems like the author would tout a lot of their like accomplishments as if to prove that well they're not lazy um this isn't simple laziness they're obviously doing a lot. They're always a, obviously a very accomplished person. And I I almost felt like they were talking about people in a separate category for me because I don't always identify with the overachiever anymore. Not the way that I did when I was, well, before I was a person with um, depression. <laughs> um, and uh, even when I was, even in you know, after I was diagnosed, definitely in high school, I would, I would identify as an overachiever. But, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, things only seem to get more difficult. Um, I don't know, It, it just, it felt like, at times, it wasn't wholly giving me the relief. The statistics and the concepts were giving me relief, but the anecdotes felt a little empty because it, it felt like, it felt like circumstances that didn't always apply to me. And I also, I also felt that there was sort of a gap in talking about people who don't have the privilege of having more boundaries in their life because of their economic status or because they don't have enough support or because... Of an allotment of reasons. It felt sometimes that this book was coming from a bit of an elevated point. Does that make sense? Yeah. I understand
1: what you mean. I think most of the anecdotes were people who were overworking themselves and overachieving. And I think that that was interesting that it was. And I think the reason that it was mainly from that perspective is that the author, that was their personal experience. But I do think that they made a point of like i like pointing out privilege where it, you know whenever it came up like they they said that um you know the main reason that they were able to like quit their job and do something they enjoyed more that was less intensive was because they'd already got like so far in their first job and they had a lot of money um and they had a lot of prestige so they were able to do work on the side and to get a steady income and all of that stuff. So I think that they made a point of that. Um, I think the references, like there weren't as many in your right. Like I think a lot of the stuff was about people who were just working too hard and how, but I guess that the reason I think that that was included so much was the point of working too hard in all of those cases was hurting people. So the mm. point, like, So the point was that's not a good thing. Like, it's not something that we should be striving for. I don't think the intention was to be like, oh, look at how not lazy we are, but people still think that we are. You know what I mean? I think the point was more, you know, a trying to, in the pursuit of not being lazy, we are killing ourselves. I think there were, there wasn't maybe enough of it. I think you can make an argument for that. But there were there were points on people who weren't in those positions. Like the introduction to the entire thing in a way was about um, the experience of parents pulling their children away from homeless people and teaching their children that it's all the homeless person's fault, that they're lazy and they just need to get a job and sort their lives out. (laughs) I do think there was you know, obviously that point, and also the the anecdote about having an argument with the boy with depression on Twitter, and like taking that entire section to make a point of here are all of the clinical, medical, psychological reasons why people with serious mental health um, issues cannot like be as productive as people want them to be, and it's not because they're lazy, it's scientifically proven because of like the way that brains help us heal, and the way that sleep is a healing thing, and the way that um we protect ourselves subconsciously um and how the body works when it's trying to like protect us uh when it, when we're not well, which you know mental illness is us not being well um so I think there was a lot of good stuff there um and in a similar vein the bit that I uh, so so in this book I I personally related most to in that anecdote with the um the boy with depression on twitter or whatever uh, and he said well I've got a bunch of friends who procrastinate and don't do their homework and don't do this and and all of this and then the author makes a point of saying, like, here's all of the study to show why that happens. Like, it's not because those people are lazy. It's often built in the fact that they are actually perfectionists and, like, are terrified that it won't be right so they don't do it at all. Or it's caught up in, like other mental health issues or or it's caught up in the fact that like there are real psychological explanations for certain methods of teaching not working with certain people and so they don't care as much about certain subjects and that's not them being lazy that's just like how people work and so I I think there was quite a bit in there to try and but it but um, you are right I do agree that like the vast majority of it is like this person is a workaholic and they need to stop um and I think that that I guess can be frustrating if you don't relate to that experience but I also think that there was a point to that being the main anecdote because it was telling the people who had, who were, who had bought into the laziness lie, maybe more so than people who necessarily had to learn that they needed to take a chill, you know, like a chill pill, yeah. like they needed to rest. Like, because obviously you, if your experience of depression have had to learn this through therapists and doctors you've spoken to, to an extent, it doesn't mean that you don't experience it. Of course you do. Like, because the rest of the world doesn't get it. And like, the people around you are telling you you're lazy and you're this and you're that, and that's crap, Um, which is why they probably need to be the ones who read the book. Um, But the point is teaching all of those people who are at the opposite end of the spectrum because they're the ones, I guess, in a way, that are are causing this laziness lie to persist in society.
0: I agree with all of that. And I will say, even in the midst of feeling like, the book wasn't always speaking to my experience or it was more narrowly speaking to my experience and more so speaking to people that are aggressively invested in the idea that, um, you know, productivity is everything and, um, are blind to the ways that overworking is, is harming them and their philosophy of overworking is harming other people Mm. beyond that i i i felt i still felt the author's passion to like defend anyone as not being lazy like i feel like i never felt like it it was avoiding avoiding people who are largely considered that as a whole um it I guess I sort of just got caught up in the um in feeling sort of abandoned in the persu the bits that were meant to be persuasive in a way because mm. I was like, I already agree with you <laughs> like I need you to just like yeah. tell me <laughs> like tell me why I'm valid. I don't know I was um I, is, a, is just a weird spot because I, I find myself in the unique position a lot. Um, wow, this is just like Ally sharing episode. I mean, I'm always a little bit of an overshare, but um, I find myself in the unique spot of like, adopting the mentality that I need to be doing an exceptional amount in order to be enough, but also being able to unable to do the bare minimum it seems like all the time and having to like Hmm. exist in that dichotomy is very confusing for the people around me and it's also very confusing for me because it's like a workaholic exists inside me but has no agency over my life (laughs) um and and there's, mm. a, there's an aspect to my personality that just, like, demands rest and has demanded it for a very long time. And I find myself, I wouldn't say giving into that part as much as it's, like, it seizes control over me. And I don't know, maybe I just, I wished for a little bit more space for that narrative other than just those academic defenses. I think I wanted more anecdotes about... Um, other than like his uh, depressed friend or like the people that he had spoken to who were adamant that they were lazy and he was trying to talk to them about how you know they weren't I don't know I just but then like my personal story doesn't always have to be appealed to you know (laughs) so I'm like I don't want to be that asshole (laughs) in a book
1: titled laziness does not exist you want to go into it You want to come out of it, I should say, being like, I feel validated, like I feel like that spoke to me and I get that. I also think, though, as far as I'm aware, and I've not done any research into this, so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone listening. But this is the first book that's doing that seems to be like this is this is the first book that seems to be like doing the rounds, I guess that's on this subject like that that looks like it's going to appeal to a group of people that maybe actually people are going to read it you know what i mean so in that way it's very much an introduction to the idea and is trying to capitalize on the, the people that need the most like convincing and so for me it's like okay the in in with that in mind i've th- And obviously, I'm in a situation where I don't have the same experience as you. So take it with a pinch of salt and everything. But with that in mind, just thinking about it purely logically, it's sort of like maybe that was the best course of action to get the message around. And then anyone who's truly invested or interested in this could probably read more of the author's works because they're also an academic and they've probably written journals and articles and other things. They can like do extra research if they'd like to. But also with a lot of this isn't an this isn't really an academic book like it definitely I think counts as a nonfiction trade but like it's academic enough that it would make sense for like a second one to come out one day of like expanding on it or an additional little handbook or something else or like some other resource to come out of it where mm. it's the topic is expanded upon so I feel like it's definitely I, for me anyway it seems like it's trying to be an introduction to this way of thinking and in that regard like it makes it makes sense that it would aim itself at the people who need the most convincing if you know what I mean
0: Mm. yeah I agree with you um I I do want to aside from those like almost criticisms and and the very the actual criticisms I mentioned I I do want to say that I really I really appreciate the book for its it's thorough intersectionality its, um, and its inclusion of all mm-hmm. the ways that having an oppressed identity coincides with with our cultural sort of diaspora, I guess, of, of merit yeah. being based in how how hard you work and that, you know, that American dream can be achieved mm. as long as you just, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I liked all yeah. of the ways that they connected the stories of a bunch of different demographics, um, queer demographics, and um, the demographics of people of color, and um, immigrants, and um, women. It was, mm-hmm. it was very refreshing to see a, a, a nonfiction text um, really pay attention to the, the politics that were inherent in its message, um, and its theories as mm. well. And yeah, what else did I want to say? I think I also no, I can't remember. <laughs> I I have
1: um, so I'm looking at like my notebook in my um Kindle app, and I have highlighted ten things throughout the book. You want me to hit you with a couple?
0: Yeah, I mean, as um, as talking points for sure. I I definitely am interested in what um. Affected you the most.
1: So the first thing was more because it annoyed me, not from the perspective of like, oh, the I think it's wrong, or the author. The I'll just read it and then I'll expand. Um, so I highlighted one little quote, but I'm just for context going to read a couple of sentences that lead up to it. I think some people might look at Julie's story and see a woman running away or giving up. Julie mentioned that her own mother has a hard time understanding the changes she's made in her life. One way that Julie marked those changes was by getting the word surrender tattooed on her upper arm and her mum found that totally baffling. I got a lot of shit from my mum for that tattoo, Julie says. She was like, surrender? That's such a weak word. And I highlighted the surrender that's such a weak word bit because it angered me so much. Yeah, I think it's because like... That that ideology it's just so, you mean? Yeah, and it's like... <laughs> I, I, I'm not like... There's just something very... I I don't know how to put my finger on it necessarily but I guess non-compassionate about that reading of a word and not allowing it to to mean many things for many people you know mm. like um Sometimes the hardest thing it, you can it, do is let go. Exactly. Like it's a strength. Like it's like it's like people who think that apologizing makes you weak. No it doesn't. It's a, it's like in, in my opinion, it's a, you know, you shouldn't be apologizing constantly, like over apologizing or apologizing for things you shouldn't have to be like, there's a midpoint, obviously, but apologizing for something when you know you messed up, can be like a sign of strength, like a strength, strength of character. Like, and there's, you know, there's also people who refuse to admit when they don't know something, because they think that that makes them look stupid or weak or whatever. And it's like, I find people who are so okay with being like, oh no, I don't know anything about that thing. Like, that's like impressive to me in a weird way. It's like that person is so confident and they're fine with not being the person who knows everything in the room. You know what I mean? Like, I, like it's just, there's just something about that one one track way of thinking that really bugs me. And it's just like, you know, that means something to that person and, and and it doesn't just mean one thing, like it depends on the context you're saying it in. And I, it just, it bugged me because it just came across to me as like very snotty and like like not compassionate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think uh, one of the things that was really impactful for me, I think one of the things that I highlighted actually was there was a a significant bit of, sort of in the latter half of the book, and um, there is... A point where they were talking about how, like, taking in uh, the secondary trauma and um, the way that mm. sometimes just being witness to to the trauma of others is a traumatic thing in and of itself. And I, I liked the fact that they were giving space um, to 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 that experience, I I think especially because yeah. I am frequently feeling guilty, like, well, I don't have a right to complain because I'm only seeing like this person's pain, and they're the they're the ones in pain. Like, I have, why am I making it about me and my feelings?
1: <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: and I think as much as we always want to have the the first victim be the centerpiece, I think um, I think it was nice to to make space also for. For people who, who are especially like thinking about it in in the terms of experiencing, um, not being the one to experience trauma, but being nearer to a, a loved one who is experiencing trauma and not having any agency over that, um, and so you're sort of having that combined experience of helplessness. Mm. It's a unique thing. Um, and so I, I really liked that portion. And I also liked the portion about like, um, identifying what you value mostly, mostly because it, um, reminded me of, um, something I'd spoken about in therapy once. I think I was like encouraged to do the exercise, um, to see if, to see if my values were aligning with the values of the people in my general environment, um, or something along those lines. And so I ended up doing mm. the exercise finally because I was like, I never did it. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, those are those are the two things that I picked out. But I didn't do a lot of highlighting because I think I was just trying to like pull, pull the the like casual reading that I had left. Like I just wanted to relax while I was reading it as much as I could. Yeah, I mean, I only
1: highlighted a handful of things that stood out to me and three of them are from the same section so I like in chapter three um you deserve to work less I highlighted all of the statistics and proof about um uh millennials finding work and how like the older generations may like think that we're all lazy because Mm. when or something but it was like Talking, it's 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 a long section. It, like it goes across three pages or something. Um, but like the culmination is like in a very real way, many of us are working far more and more productively than ever before, and we're getting far far less in return. And it's like obviously that can go into like in my case, I can't claim that experience because I haven't been in the working world properly yet, so I'm not like claiming that and being like, yeah, screw you, boomers. Like, but the point is that like. You do hear that a lot. Like I have also heard people around me who were like in older generations and stuff make certain comments about people who are younger and like like blanket statements. Well, that's um, that's also also to say
0: (laughs) that's also not to say that like you know what is also essentially work, which is academics. Like that that is also work, and I would say that. it has the same line of thinking of like um, investing a lot and then sort of not receiving not having it result in the in the safety and, and the renown that it um, used to have.
1: yeah, I mean, it's, I mean the whole reason I'm doing my master's is because trying to get into the publishing industry straight out of uni proved impossible. That is an entirely, like, separate discussion slash debate as well, depending, like, concerning those statistics versus, like, the publishing industry as a whole or, like, competitive industry. I don't know. But, like, the the point being, like, it wasn't necessarily for me. It was, like, when I was reading it, I wasn't being like, yes, I feel validated because I haven't yet really had that experience. But it was just, like, nice to see the actual... Statistics and like proof behind mm. it for a lot of people who do get a lot of flack from their like parents or grandparents or like older people who are right into the Daily Mail to complain about the millennials. You know what I mean? Like, but or like, even
0: just like when you find yourself in those situations where you're like at the dinner table and they're talking about how your generation, blah, 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 and to have like a source mm. to be like, well, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's,
1: there's, I mean, it's always going to happen. Almost inevitably, like our generation is going to be moaning about the next couple because things will be different. You know what I mean? Or like, we'll be, if like, depending upon how statistics change, we'll be like, oh, well, you lot have got it easier or you lot have got it harder. You know what I mean? It's going to happen because it's just how it works. I I will try my utmost personally not to be that person. (laughs) But like, it's just how people work. It's like, like when you're, When you're in school and there's that sort of like oh, so it'd be like year nines for me, I guess, and like freshmen, I think for you or whatever. But you get a lot of flack, or people aren't the nicest to you, or they look annoyed at your presence. Um, But as soon as you reach like sixth form over here, or like senior year over there, or whatever, you're that person who's annoyed at all of the newcomers who are in the way. Um, I don't know. I think (laughs) like it's just.
0: I think a lot of it is just simple. It's like ageism to be honest um well
1: yeah I know but that, that's that's like my point my point is that you know when when our parents were kids they were getting flack from the older generations and now that's the generation that is giving our generation flack you know what I mean so uh, my point isn't that I think like I just think that's sort of how our society at the moment and for many years has worked.
0: Yeah. I hope we overcome it, though.
1: Yeah. And I also hope even if that... I feel like it's kind of inevitable in the same way that most of the social issues we face today might, hopefully, will have improved by the time we're, like, you know, in our 50s or 60s or whatever, but they'll almost certainly still be around you know what I mean? In some form. So I feel like, I hope it does get better, but I feel like it's almost inevitable that it will happen that way. Cause it's just a pattern that you, it's a repeating pattern that you can see throughout history. And I, it's already happening because the amount of people I know who are like, so technically we're like in that weird little patch between Gen Z and millennial, like some people consider us millennials and some people consider us Gen Z kids. Um, but there, there is a significant difference between actual, like, Gen Zers, I guess, um, because of the whole, like, one of the ways it manifests is the TikTok Vine thing. So, like, we had Vine. I mean, I know that... I don't have a problem with TikTok and I know that you like it and all that stuff, but like in general, the amount of people our age that I hear moaning about how stupid TikTok is and how like the kids dancing on TikTok is so dumb and Vine was so much better. And I'm just here, like, it's basically the same thing. And there's some funny stuff. So I'm going to take part, you know, I don't use it. Like I don't make TikToks, but I didn't make Vines either. So I just watch them for fun. But like, the The point is that that like you know we think that that's it like Fortnite was when it sort of emerged when like when Fortnite became a thing and everyone was dancing like Fortnite dances or whatever we were already at that or at least people I knew were already at that stage of eye roll the youths of today you know what I mean so I feel like it's already happening because you're you're always like generations always compare newer like other generations either side to themselves and think their generation is the best one i guess in a way it's just interesting but i i think that that's why i liked this because it wasn't it was actual real statistics and proof that there was something to be said about this in defense of millennial and when i say millennial in this case it's mainly like people who are late 30s to sorry late 20s to late 30s I think are mainly affected by this but I think we still will be because these are current up-to-date statistics um but I think they're the people who have experienced the most while trying to get work like flack from family and friends you know what I mean so I I just thought it was interesting I thought it was a good thing to include
0: no I agree I, I liked that stuff as well I think there was a lot of like different um data pieces that I was like, "Mm, I could use this in an argument. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Or it's like, I mean, that's all, that's all I really have to, to say on it. Do you have any other, other things you want to squeeze in here?
1: I've got a couple more highlights. One of them, like I've just found is like, I've highlighted two words and I've made a note that just says badass. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was the, it was the story about the, the girl in the minute, the military. Her commanding officer once tried to discipline her by demanding that she write an essay that was exactly 1,000 words long on oh, yeah. any topic of her what choosing. was she an icon? Within, <laughs> an, within an hour, she returned a paper covered in random looking symbols, but which Microsoft Word recognized as exactly 1,000 words. When her commanding officer asked her what the topic of this essay was supposed to be, she said simply, following directions. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's epic.
0: Yeah. Um, what a I, I love
1: her. She's my
0: hero. I wish yeah, I wish I had uh the enough like gusto to the like goal. to like <laughs> put the middle finger up to authority that way, especially in a military scenario. Yeah, like it I don't feels know like she far... probably
1: would have gotten disciplined further. I don't know how far <laughs> that
0: girl would have gotten in the military, but yeah, but fair enough. This episode's a a, a lot of footage good. here. <laughs> yeah, I I I, I think it was it was good it was interesting and it was very validating but let's uh yeah let's talk about um the book we're covering for february yeah the month uh, i you know what i just realized though and i'm you're i'm just gonna have to say sorry from the get-go with it because i this i was i just feel really really dumb and uh, for this but um
1: february's
0: february is actually black history month in america um and uh yeah i i am going to apologize ahead of time because i think it would have been a really good opportunity for us to either read something from a black author or read a book um focusing on a black story or a black protagonist um and so uh, um we still can
1: we don't have to release an episode, but you and I could buddy read one and then write a review or like do a little blog post or Instagram post about it if that's, you wanted to do that. Yeah,
0: that's a good idea. Um, uh, there's our our solution. Uh, we're going to um, we're definitely going to be reading something focusing on Black History Month. But I also think um, as we know from December's read and the way that turned out, that I I'm really needing some lighter material. <laughs> Not that there isn't um. You know, books from Black authors and books with Black protagonists that wouldn't have those qualities. That's not what I mean. Uh, not all of all Black we writing is read. traumatic, but but yeah. Uh, so, um, for oh. F- oh my God, my dog is so Yelpy right now. For February, we're covering um, the uh, Lonely Hearts Hotel by Heather O'Neill. It's um, supposed to be very magical realist and very epic romance. And I thought that would be really uh, cool for for valentine's day and you guys i think thought so too based on the poll um yeah and uh, it's supposed nobody to be nobody picks
1: my choices i'm sorry it's outrageous
0: um it's uh, do you know to how be... many
1: times i've polled that book like three times now and no one wants
0: it so i'm reading it on my own this month and i don't care i need to read it as well at some point anyway uh yeah it's supposed to be comparable um apparently to the night circus which is one of my favorites um so I'm excited and uh yeah tune in tune in next month at the end of the month uh, or maybe at the beginning of the next month after that hopefully not hopefully we're like a little yeah. more together
1: also our um our instagram got deleted because facebook slash instagram they're crazy and I don't know what's going on and we don't know why it happened so um you can find us now at Galleyproof Podcast. We used to be at Galleyproof Pod, but now it's podcast at the end of the name. So um uh that's our new Instagram. If you've lost us or were confused about where we went, sorry about that. Um but yeah, so we're we're over there now. So if you want to take part in any of the
0: polls or give us any feedback or read along with us or anything like that, that's where we'll be. Um we're also on Tumblr at galleyproof.com you know, uh, galleyproof.tumblr.com. And, um, our Twitter is still, um, at galleyproofpod, I believe. So, um, yeah. So you can interact with us on there. All the other stuff is the same. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode and, uh, we hope you, uh, tune back in next month for, for the Lonely Hearts Hotel episode.